Welcome to Compass Live, the only and therefore the best show in proof of work mining. Today we have on the show Seth of MinerBiz and Michael Carter, aka Bitsby Trippin, two top YouTube streamers touching all things mining, particularly GPU mining, which is, of course, a little bit different than our past streams, which have mostly touched on Bitcoin mining and ASIC mining. But really excited for today's stream. Also want to welcome Zach, my co-host of the show. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm great. This should be a fun conversation. Um, glad Michael and Seth are on the stream. And yeah, we we haven't really talked at all about GPU mining, so uh, a little bit different, and and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm pumped. Totally. It's about time we touched on the subject. Also, want to call out that you can like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, also our Twitch channel. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe to Mining Memo, our twice weekly newsletter on all things Bitcoin mining. Michael and Seth, want to thank you to the show. Uh, thanks for coming on. Also, want to start with a segment called Shill Your Bag. Zach came up with this a few weeks ago, and I'm a big fanboy of it. Uh, so, essentially, what we're asking you is to talk about your bags. What have you guys been up to? How long have you been mining? Uh, just kind of give us like the 60 second recap about who you are, what you do, what your YouTube stream is about. Michael, we'll start with you. And we also have some footage that we can roll at the same time. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, we put together a little montage to kind of give people a history. So yeah, started early, real early in the in the space. Uh, 2010 started mining, decided to start recording it around 2013. Uh, and capture some stuff. Launched the channel in twenty, right in December of twenty thirteen. Bits be tripping to kind of bring you know the home miner into it and help people get build rigs. How you know do it yourself type of thing. Not be scared by it. Try to bring some good content. Added some flair to it. Um, you know, just to get people. Uh, and in, in that time, mind you, that was Bitcoin and Litecoin was about the only things out there. It was even pre Dogecoin, that kind of thing. So, you know, tried a lot of different types of builds, trying different things with thermals. Got into ASICs right there. You see a Titan uh, ASICs, some S3s. I had to throw some old school stuff out here for you guys to see some of the old videos and stuff. S4s, you know. So those were still some Bitcoin Bitcoin miners, and you know that's when they were trying to make it like at home, right? They had like nice clean looks. Now it's a lot more industrial. Did some pretty epic builds throughout the time. Tried to throw some extra flair on that too with like this uh, large build here. This is dual GPUs per card. That was like the world's first like 12 GPU mining card, you know, set up. And then here's some of the farm, uh, the BBT farm. And, you know, just it's about 2,500 GPUs. It's actually about 26 now, 100 GPUs in total. Uh, and then here's the evolution of that right now as we're starting to move this farm over to, to immersion. So we're taking a lot of things off the racks, putting the immersion tanks together and going through that with everybody on YouTube as we get through it. So just, you know, lessons learned type of thing. What, how are we applying, uh, this kind of thing uh, to everybody and then, you know, just be open and transparent and lessons, you know, lessons learned, try to get community feedback from that. So yeah, that's, that's the channel and people can feedback. We can, there's no paywalls or anything. People just come straight to the channel and can comment on it and all that. So that's kind of uh, my history. Yeah. Your channel is excellent. Uh, I've used a lot for education over the last few years, especially when I was at Coindesk reporting on Ethereum is always like a great resource to go to. And I'd encourage everyone to go check out his latest series on immersion mining. Uh, I watched the first few. I haven't watched the the latest ones. I need to get yeah. back and jump into it. Uh, Seth, I want to jump over to you though. Let's, let's talk about your bags. What have you been up to? And uh, <laughs> let's get some of that imagery up if we can, Damien. Sure. Do I have to, do I have to uh, answer in the form of a question? Is that how this is done? I, I didn't <laughs> yeah, get the memo. Like Jeopardy. 
I mean, I got the mining memo, but I didn't get the other memo. This is uh, underground in a couple of the facilities that I've done some work for hire in either pen testing or in optimizing uh, that last mine that you saw me uh, inside of twirling around with a stick. I improved their yield by about 15 to 20%. They really like that um, at no additional cost, right? Same power consumed. And then this one I built, uh, well, designed and then built from scratch. That's somebody else's that we did co-location for. And then this one as well, uh, that's the same one that I was spinning around, but they they changed their perimeter security. And I was like, not good. I'll show you. I'll, I'll prove it. So I broke in with just a stick. Um, it was fun, right? This, this is what you do, right? When it's like, hey, you want to justify that the, the, the fee that you pay me as a consultant? Well, I'll show, you, I'll show you how we do it. You keep your keys. I want plausible deniability. If you don't like me being in your facility, I, I, don't, I don't need your keys. So this is an FPGA that was sent directly uh, by the manufacturer for me to do early testing, and uh, we never we never got around to releasing a content stream for that. This also is an extremely low power consumption uh, side of that of that mine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fun. I like expanding my skill set. This is me learning CNC along with uh, local F16 engineers, um, just because I'm not complacent with staying with my old skill set. That's why I subscribe to. Michael's channel actually is because I want to level up. So, uh, so credit where it's due. And um, it really, it's just, um, it, it's kind of a compulsion, really. I think when you get into this space where you're, you're in part, you're having to come up with some kind of a solution. It, most GPU mining rigs, unless you go with like really, really old models, most GPU mining rigs are, uh, they're kind of a work of art, right? Like you've totally designed it from scratch and you've made something that's never existed before. And so having some of your basics, right? Like most GPU miners would qualify with whatever, uh, some of their, their more simple uh, tech certifications just by virtue of the fact that you've had to build something from scratch. So we, we go over some of that and then we do a lot of market talk too on my channel, but that's, um, I know I didn't tell you about my bags, but uh, but the experiences are, are, are where it's at, I think. And the bags just rotate anyway and just get heavier. Yeah, totally. I was going to start off just kind of talking about like how to get into GPU mining, but I just, I love the enthusiasm. So I actually want to delve into another question first off, like what is it about GPU mining that gets you guys going so excited for like, you know, Michael, you've been doing this for years now and it doesn't seem to be like showing any slowdown at all. Uh, Michael, maybe we'll start with you, but Seth, I really want to jump into that. Like kind of get behind mm -hmm. why you guys are so deep into GPU mining. Cause like this stream might even just be a little beneath you because you're so deep in the technical weeds and we're trying to trying to like get like an intro to GPU mining. Yeah. Yeah. No worry. I, I think, uh, and it's the best way I've explained it before, I think is it's the barrier to entry is very, very low because most people have access to a single GPU. So if you're trying to understand the proof of workspace, the, the barrier to entry to even see that and, and be part of that is very, very low. Most people have a computer, they have a GPU inside their computer and it doesn't, you don't even need to get wrapped around the wheels around, is it more better to have a higher end GPU or something? Just any GPU by and large can run a handful of these different networks. So it's that crawl, walk, run strategy that gets adoption and people to understand the importance of proof of work. And it lends them to either becoming a larger participant in it because they want to uphold the network. And yes, there is an incentive there. That's, And that's why I always tell people in the very beginning, when I was doing this and getting into it in the very beginning, it was more of understanding the network security of the way proof of work works and understanding the importance of that. And the first thing I was thinking is everybody needs to do this. And if everybody had some small even capacity to this, 
then th we all are collectively securing this network. And that force projection that that creates allows the opportunity to make sure that it's there for a long time and that's very secure. Circumstantially, we get a token for that, and that token happens to be worth quite a bit of money now. Uh, but that was really their initial piece. So as I started to gravitate in the channel, and you see that journey, if anybody goes back and looks at old videos and stuff, you see that kind of we looked at ASICs, um, and I had different opinions at the time because there was only a few niche companies that could do it at the time. And there still is a couple large monoliths out there that still do it. Um, but the barrier to entry there was a little different. And then you had long lead times to try to get into it. Um, so it's not diminishing ASIC involvement. It is what it is. But it's just that crawl, walk, run that gets you to that ASIC or making that decision, I think, gives you a much more informed path if you're going to choose to, you know, like pair up and say, you know what, this GPU stuff's a little complicated and it's not super consistent. That's true. Um, I'm going to go with like a hosted solution because I still want to have that root discussion of like securing the network. Right. So it, it still lends you, I think, to that path and they're complementary at the end of the day. And I think there's always a wedge that gets put in there of like, ah, oh, GPUs are going to go away and all that. And I, I think that there's always going to be proof of work. And with that, there's always going to be networks that believe in that understanding of upholding their networks through proof of work. And some of them are going to take that, that uh, GPU path. And I think that's kind of where it gets. Totally. Love that answer. Seth, I want to throw it back to you also. Like what is it about GPU mining that like gets you up in the morning and encourages you to make this awesome YouTube stream for everyone to watch? Well, first off, thank you. It's the first time in a while I've heard my, my stream called awesome. So I'll, I'll, uh, I received that. Just kidding. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get out of the uh, get out of the uh, the intentions and you know the the metaphysical side of this stream soon. But I, I've got to warn you. You guys knew what you were getting into when you invited me on. So <laughs> here we are. Um, but uh, but as far as uh, as far as what gets me excited about it, everything that Michael said for me, I like to sum up in in the phrase that that uh, GPU and CPU mining are the gateway drugs to crypto. Really, they get you hooked in a way that almost nothing else can. When you see that you have an old laptop, maybe not like ancient, ancient, but you know, not from this year, you see that you are able to configure a miner as a non-technical person, maybe by downloading some software or maybe a wallet that has an embedded miner, click mine, and you see it returning results. You see that piece of hardware hashing away. You hear the fan whirring up. You can tell that something's different. And then all of a sudden, you start to see block rewards trickle in. It's infectious. Most people see that and they start to they start to really get excited. That was no exception for me. I my the very first mining that I ever actually did was just like that, creating a start.bat file on a laptop. And uh, I think it was mining Bitcoin, which is not <laughs> not, not recommended. Heard these that days. name in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that said, also on my stream, I, I do like talking about fundamentals and not from like an investing standpoint, but that the, the technological fundamentals. So I was the first person to interview uh, the the earliest Docs member of the CryptoNote development team, um, which then was at that time forked into Bitcoin and uh, it created Bitcoin from there. And then after that point became Monero. I really like looking uh, at some of the other sides of not just uh, the cryptocurrency scene, but also mineable cryptocurrencies, proof of work cryptocurrencies, because of that mission, like uh, like Michael was saying before, the fact that there was a time where we heard the refrain, one CPU, one vote. That was a, a more common thing to hear. 
that if you had the ability to contribute to the network with some kind of a CPU, maybe it actually meant a GPU or maybe even it meant an ASIC. If you had some way to contribute to the network, then you were voting with your hash power, kind of like voting with your feet, right? Like when you chose to go that direction with a mining rig, then you were telling the world like in a very visible way, this hash rate is coming from this IP address and it's going to this network and it's going to assist in, in building up this coin. Um, and and that, that means something. Right? And again, like to sum it all up again, I, I think that it really is the, the gateway to a much more rich experience of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And I think everybody should try it. Yeah, I kind of want to pick up on that note because it's something you both have mentioned. Uh, Michael, you mentioned that like it, this is something people talk about with coins maybe more often than with like uh, mining machines, but that how the market, some people think is just going to converge on like one type of asset or maybe one single asset and similarly, maybe one type of mining. But like ASIC mining and GPU mining, uh, I mean, it seems like a pretty reasonable position to say will always be around. And like the, the fact that it is like a gateway to mining and then more areas of crypto more broadly makes perfect sense. Um, Seth, like you're explaining, I, I kind of want to know your opinion since you guys have been doing this for, for years and years on like the ebb and flow of retail interest in mining, particularly. Um, I was looking at one particular type of data the other day, Damien, if you can throw my screen up there, um, looking at the subreddit of uh, just GPU mining. And it's like, it's gone parabolic since the start of this year, um, like kind of flatlined there for a little bit, or this is way too zoomed in here. Let me, there we go. So 2021, it's just like exploded, uh, in the past couple of years, you know, kind of flatlined. I'm sure you can see similar trends with other mining subreddits and communities, but I'm just curious, like, what do you see in terms of like retail interest in mining now compared to, you know, maybe the, the last bear market we just went through and then bull and bear cycles before that? What things have changed? What things have stayed the same? Um, all of that. Uh, Seth, maybe hand it back to you and then Michael want to know your opinion, too. Sure. I'm going to defer a lot of this to Michael because he's lived through and been an active participant in more market cycles than uh, than anybody else in this space. Right. And also been uh, been generous enough to share his experience along the way. But the last bear market that that I worked through, uh, what I noticed personally was that with clients that I was working with at the time, they were less excited about it. Um, it it's kind of like, um, you know, after the, after a long day and, you know, you're, you're a kid or whatever, mom and dad tell you, you got to eat your vegetables before you can have dessert. They're saying, no, 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 no. We really want to be able to get these fast returns on investment. And I'm telling them, no, no, no. You really need to buy GPUs now. And you'll thank me 18 months from now but you need to do this. And uh, that's just that, that one custom uh, system that you saw me building out that was uh, the, all the same build um, in, in the, the sizzle reel there before. They were not very happy to hear that news from me, but it was validated. Had they focused on that during the bear market when equipment was ex really inexpensive and especially mining specific models, which would not be con a contentious thing for retail, right? Like when people are serious about it. Retail participation definitely did drop and they were buying back all of the retail oriented GPU models. But anybody who was serious about mining had a golden opportunity to buy the mining specific models where there was a massive supply. Some of it's still new in box. And um, and clients like that, they they seven, eight, ten X their money uh, when they when they followed that very, very sound process because it's played out before. Like I didn't I didn't live through those market cycles before. 
but the record is written, right? We can go back and read those chapters in the book of cryptocurrency, if you will. And it's not, uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out like, okay, well, you know, buy low, sell high. And the same is true of the equipment. But yeah, retail tends to get discouraged. Retail by definition tends to buy the top and sell the bottom of whether they're just investing or or they're mining. So yeah, that's that's my only observation is that there, there tends to be uh, retail trends towards making um, uninformed decisions. Everybody's irrational on some level, right? But retail, unfortunately, is also uninformed. So yeah, that, that's what I think I saw. And um, sure. Yeah. And I, I wish that I wish that more people, if they were interested, would just kind of get that memo. Like, yes, GPUs are inexpensive now. Maybe consider, if you've ever thought about mining before, maybe consider, you know, doubling up, tripling up and getting, uh, you know, putting together a crossfire rig or, you know, an SLI rig for your gaming. And, and then when you do want to mine on it, more power to you. Yeah, no, that's a great point. We had we had a stream, uh, Michael. Before I hand the question to you, we had a stream with some some traders a couple of weeks back, who all of them started mining with Compass recently, um, and their reasoning was basically like ASIC prices are a lot cheaper now relative to what they were, you know, four or five six months ago. So why not like buy a couple and start mining? Like we assume the market is going to be around for a while. Maybe it'll keep going up short term. It'll probably keep going up long term. Uh, why not? Like, you know, severe discount relative to a few months ago. It kind of kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, Michael, same question to you. You've been through more micro- market cycles than any of us on this stream. Uh, curious to, to, to know your thoughts on the same question, like what things have changed yep. at the same, specifically with retail and GPU mining. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there because there, it's been it's unfortunately not as linear as we w- would like it to be because this the there's so many other dynamics at play because mind you in the first series of that cycle i would say that first run up and wasn't a, it was a blip on the map compared to now but that first kind of run up in 2013 2014 when people started to realize you can mine cryptocurrency with gpus i'm talking like the launch of dogecoin at the time uh you know right before the a6 on script you, know, you couldn't find a 7970 there for a little bit and some it was prior to the r9 series is coming out for amd nvidia wasn't even on the map at the time when it came to mining stuff then but just seeing at the time it was uh, an attempt to try to get tokens, but even at the profitability levels were far, far lower than they are right now, even in the lowest bear market that we had in the last cycle. So it was never, you never had like a heavy run on it. And then coming out into that second one after 2017, I think put the retail kind of mark out there to where you had that first start to run up in 2016 into the 2017 Bitcoin having or you know that having and the split and then seeing Ethereum start to take off, you started seeing the retail finally start to pay attention, make specific solutions um, where they were taking those cores and making you know uh, GPU mining specific GPUs. Both Nvidia and AMD did that. AMD did it really through their AIB lines, like through Sapphire. Nvidia went more to that like that kind of CXP line. Uh, set up to where they're doing that um, themselves. Um, It's it's here to stay. They know it's here to stay. You have the effectively what's occurred is all these networks have taken various smart folks that wanted to have certain changes with like Bitcoin and moved over to maybe Ethereum and some of these other ancillary platforms and have started building solutions and options there. 
some of those happen to be proof of work, right? So, and re will remain proof of work. So Ethereum Classic hasn't had any idea to move to proof of stake. They said, we're always going to be proof of work. There was some question if it was going to go SHA-3 or not, as an example. So the retail looks at that now. So the, if it's retail folks that can participate, if it's companies that are you know in the semiconductor industry, they're looking at this and saying, are, can we build supply for that? Right now, there's still a supply crunch or so, and it transcends just, you know, COVID related stuff. I mean, there's just a supply trend issue right now across the board on all silicon and, you know, a semiconductor market. So looking at who's going to be able to fill that through these, these uh, now that crypto is a lot more established, um, where you have, you know, Fidelity adding, you know, people, you have large financial institutions if you were to crosswalk like what makes up a crypto network and you break that down into the fact that okay the consensus is proof of work okay what does that proof of work okay there's gpus so they're they're breaking that down in a lot more you know business intelligence kind of level um and uh, that's going to bring that support uh, you know and in addition to not just the hardware side we've talked a lot about the hardware side the software side is completely different through these three different cycles the videos that if you look back in the past where I had, it was editing batch files. It was like trying to make, see, make things. So you had to have some level of Linux experience. Like now you can literally download a piece of software and it will go off and automatically adjust everything. It's windows based. It's like literally seamless. They'll even provide the wallet in the app for you now. So you don't have to kind of go find your own wallet and put your address in. It has been that snap to the retail line has really made it very uh, conducive for people to come into the market. So that's another big cycle change that even if there was a bear market pullback, the risk and the cost to people, if they already have that sunk cost and asset, where if they have a single GPU or they have a handful of GPUs, they'll cover the power cost, even if it's not profitable. And that's why that's really the relational connection that you'll see when you look at the 2020 pullback in the GPU, when Ethereum was $86 and you looked at 172 terahash on the network, as an example, um, look at what will happen after post. And I know we'll probably branch into POS, but right now Ethereum Classic's at 23 terahash and its price is at 40. So it's the same network and it has one coin per block incentive higher. So it gives you an idea that, you know, something like Ethereum Classic, things like that can absorb, you know, orders of magnitude of where it's at right now and still be profitable for eight cents per kilowatt as an example. So it's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, we already have price discovery on some of those coins that are high enough. And if we look at their May highs, it's definitely high enough to take on the entire, uh, you know, aspect of Ethereum. So, yeah, GPU mining through these cycles have really foundationally built out the service, the tools, the, uh, you know, the, if it's the videos, the education out there now to sustain, I think, a permanency in the GPU mining scene. And now it's a matter of which networks really get price discovery based on their development and how does that, that build out in the long run. Totally love that. A uh, little history there. I, I want to turn to GPU mining in general. I think this is a great segue, but like GPU mining just seems very confusing from the outside looking in. So if you look at the ASIC market, you want to get into co-locations. It's like, I have my few manufacturers. I know Bitmain. I know MicroBT, maybe Kanan. I know they have like a set model list. I can 
normally pick one or two of them and then I find a hosting provider and boom, it's basically like pretty set. GPU market seems very confusing from someone looking at like the, you have all these technical names. You don't really know, like, are you, should you use this GPU? Should you use this one? Then you get into the, the like the consequences of like locking it for video games. I think people just get confused. So I want to kind of dive into the subject of like, how do you get started GPU mining from like the very basics? Michael, you said earlier that it's a very low threshold to get into GPU mining. Like most people have a GPU somewhere in their house and maybe you don't have to be technical to kind of get it up and mining. But at the same time, I do think people get kind of confused when they're looking at it. So uh, Seth, I'm going to start with you on that one. Just like what what is like the basic intro to GPU mining at home? Wow. Um, so again, you guys are going to, this is going to be a very familiar story where I say basically defer to some of Michael's legacy content because you'll see where you can get onboarded. You may have a GPU that's uh, that's legacy GPU where it's not immediately obvious how you optimize or how you make it work. And frankly, some of the only like user manual for a miner who wants to enter into the space will be in some of that record that, that, that Michael's uh, set out and, and very graciously shared. Uh, case in point, some of those older uh, 7900 series GPUs from from AMD and then some of the R9 series, you couldn't use Polaris BIOS editor, like this this graphical user interface. You had to use a, a hex ed- a editor to be able to adjust the, what's called the vBIOS if you want to get very serious about this thing. And, uh, and that's not... It's not for the faint of heart, like even just that step. And that's not even the most difficult stuff, like, uh, like he's saying. So like getting started there, take stock of what you have. That's always step number one. Just take an inventory, figure out what you got. What are you working with? Is it a bunch of old laptops? Can you, I don't know, go to like a, uh, go to an IT sale at the local college, community college, whatever else, see what they got. See if it's possible to make anything happen on it. any kind of like hashes take place on it. And just figure out what you have in, like, in your possession already, or you know, in your sphere of influence, cousin, sibling, friends, or whatever, and then try to round it up, and uh, and then from there, go as hard as you can. That's that's in my opinion the the second step. If you're gonna do it, don't go halfway. Like really, um, be in it to win it. Because when it comes to uh, to mining, if you know a half-hearted attempt gets you a half-hearted result, and uh, when you're looking at maybe a long time to be able to win a block reward solo mining that's just uh it's not going to cut the mustard you're, you're going to be really upset and you're going to get uh, you're going to get in, become inclined to just quit before you see any kind of a result so so don't do it halfway after you know what you've got uh, and then after you've committed to that and you figured out okay what kind of power does it take to make this go because it's a very power dense thing um if you come especially from traditional like data centers then you're going to look at it and think like, especially the GPUs, my power density is like, is like 10 times what I thought it would be. Maybe like on one rack, you're saying I can consume how much power through this one rack. Like it's a shock for most people after they go through those first two steps and say like, okay, I've got this and I've, you know, I want to do that. And um, I want to be able to uh, hit, hit this network hard. So, um, so yeah, make sure that you, that you've got ample, uh, ample power, distribution and delivery and, and that you're not pushing it so hard that you light your house on fire. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think kind of the, the initial steps, everything else in today's mining world is fairly cut and dried. It's kind of paint by numbers, right? Like, and most projects, if they're serious about onboarding you, they're going to have a very tactical, very simply laid out steps for getting onboarded into either pooled mining or solo mining. So the rest is out there. You'll find it very easily 
by by choosing a project that you want to support. But but yeah, start by figuring out what you already have and making sure that you can deliver enough power and then hit it as heavy as you can. That's I kind of want to uh, before Will hands the same question to Michael. So I kind of want to pick up on that because it's it's a little bit different than maybe some common refrains we hear from ASIC miners. And I see Red Fox in the chat saying 100% agree, Seth, all in. Um, like because you'll hear ASIC miners kind of kind of so when ASIC miners sort of go all in, it's a lot easier for them to get burned, you know, because the hardware is much more expensive and maybe they enter near or at the top of the market. Um, and so kind of with ASIC mining, usually a better strategy is to kind of ease your way in a little bit at a time. Um, but what you're saying with GPU miners, and I'm curious maybe if you have a minute to explain quickly why, like why go all in once you sort of get your bearings and you know, like don't don't uh, dip your foot in and sort of wait in, just jump in the deep end. Like why is that dynamic a little bit different there? I think in part the the way that it's different is that the uh, the hardware profile that you're working with, it's not as susceptible to to like massive problems from user error in the same way that an ASIC or and an more particularly an FPGA would be. You make a mistake with an FPGA and yeah, you will burn your house down. Like that's that's going to happen with a, a field programmable gate array, which is a, a slightly more esoteric hardware profile than than either GPUs or, or ASICs. Uh, and then also with GPUs, because you have a secondary market, um, if if everything goes to you know goes to pot, you decide like you know what this is not for me. I hate doing this. That guy Seth was a total idiot. Compass mining, never have him on again. And by the way, like, um, you know everybody's a, a liar and a fraud. Like Satoshi's not real. Like they 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 give up, right? Um, if you go that route, you can sell your GPUs to a gamer. You're going to be fine. You're not going to lose your shirt. GPU mining. And uh, there are some people who, with whatever the, the similar half-hearted effort with ASIC mining. You know, we, we know some of those sob stories. Uh, a family member of mine put money down on one of the older generation ASICs that was never delivered, right? It was uh, the presale happened on BitcoinTalk.org. He put his deposit down. They never delivered. They, they never uh, fulfilled those, those ASICs. So I heard about that story like very loudly. Um, and yeah, we all know people that like, like, you know, not like Carter, but like others who still have like an S3 or an S7 lying around that is a literal paperweight. It's not going to do them any good in North America at all. So you have that, you have that window that just sh- slams shut, right? It, it's just like, like how we talk about adoption, like slowly, then suddenly the same is true for your profit window with certain hardware profiles. And with GPU is it like, it's just, the window just keeps opening back up. It's just the gift that keeps on giving, right? Where like, okay, maybe it's not profitable for mining, but there's a gamer somewhere who like, you are a heaven send by listing that GPU on eBay. So you can be fine. Love it. Michael, same question to you. Just how should people think about onboarding into the GPU mining market if they're interested in home mining or mm-hmm. maybe even creating their own farm? Yeah, I've, I've taken a, a slightly different approach just, and this is more kind of, just, I guess, through the iterations of hearing different stories of folks over time and the complexities as you start to scale, because it goes a lot. It, there's like a threshold for like a home miner and you'll hit it sometimes thermally. Like you just literally can't do anything with the heat um, or you'll you'll tap out the, your box because not a lot of even though you have 200 amps into your house, it doesn't mean all that can be dedicated to mining. You still probably want to like wash your clothes and stuff. So like there's there is a uh, kind of a a barrier there to kind of go 
all in quick. So I've kind of taken an approach, especially recently, is just a crawl, walk, run strategy. So first I look at if you have zero to no experience, then probably starting with a, a kind of pre-canned broker solution in the beginning to start it off. So that maybe that's nice hash, maybe that's uh, you know, CUDA miner, something that's some something that's set up to where it's a simple piece of software, but don't stop there. It's kind of get you in, let you understand on how to set up a wallet, how you get your payout out of that wallet, how your hardware is optimized and what different coins there are, right? So it's a very, very quick, you could get lost on the internet one night and by 2 a.m. you're it's mining, right? And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, hey, I got a payout. Um, that's like the crawl, walk, run, single GPU gets you familiar with it. From that, after maybe a week of doing that, then you can start researching uh, you know, maybe I scale that to a couple, a couple cards. Um, the cards it's specifically in GPUs, you know, there's Nvidia and AMD. We might have Intel here pretty soon too, but there's uh, just a swath of videos out there now that will help you get certain aspects of the, uh, you know, the optimization. And when we say optimization, it means heat. And it means power usage, which kind of go uh, hand in hand to make it more optimal to because, you know, you're you have a variable cost that you have control of. Right. So if you just plug a GPU in you and you go, it's going to cost you more because you haven't configured it. And plus, you're putting out more heat. So there's some optimization there. So crawl walk running into that and getting those basic principles to understand thermal issues um, and you know, thermal runaway with GPUs. Also, uh, just the maintenance part of that, because if you run a GPU 24-7, 365, and it's making you money, that's great. Uh, if it burns out the fans in seven months and then you're like, where do I buy fans at? You know, like you'll run into the issue. So behavioral um, adjustment to that to make sure that you're extending your equipment also. So I'm kind of like a crawl, walk, run uh, strategist in it. But if it makes sense and you understand that scale and you get to that first GP rig and maybe you scale it to the second one, then that's when you start like maybe working with family or somebody that wants to maybe go in with you. And it becomes like an ops thing, like who's going to maintain it. Um, GPU mining is substantially more ops intensive than ASIC mining. So you got to maintain it. Um, more often i mean having the farm up in wisconsin it's it's constant and todd lives up there it's a partner that lives up there with the farm he, he's always there like every day so like it's uh, it's an intensive operation you have sometimes issues that that may take down the power and then bring things back up it's not as graceful as an asic mining so there's a lot more intensive when you scale it so to seth's point going out there and helping some of these operations you know optimize and find a maintenance schedule i mean we have annual maintenance schedules where we shut things down you know clean things i've taken some of the videos that are out there show that process um so it's very task intensive so it's one of those things that it is a much more managed type of thing and as things start to adapt and companies and solutions come around to make that a managed service, much like what you guys are doing with Compass Mining, to where they can be a participant in that, they can make an investment and then co-locate with somebody power-wise, find the better cost. Um, I think that's a much more tenable approach if you're going long-term and want to sleep at night, <laughs> you know, to make sure your stuff's running. But it's never to discourage anybody to not be part of it because there is something that is just genuinely exciting knowing that that the element that's lost when we talk about mining is the fact that it's permissionless and the fact that gets people hooked initially is the fact that they can find it on the internet in the middle of the night and 
have a payout reward in the morning and they didn't ask for permission. They were just a contributor to a network and they're a participant that's paying it back, right? So that simplicity and that relationship with the network itself like changes everything when you start to look at the implications of that is from just the fact that you can participate and have that relationship that way. So I, I think crawl, walk, run gets them in. Like Seth said, is that, that gateway piece there. And then based on the complexity of their situation, we'll guide them either to a managed solution or manage them to like, they want to scale it up with other folks. Yeah. Can I, can I jump back real quick and just say like to, to Carter's point, everybody's situation is different. So I'm going to, I'm going to do something you guys have never seen on a crypto YouTube channel before. I'm going to disclaim the crap out of everything I just said. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> I love that. You guys mostly agreed. I, I was just curious, you know, on, on everyone has different preferences for like how quickly and slowly, you know, they, they scale their operations, whether it's just like buying assets on an exchange or, or actually buying machines to mine those coins themselves. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It's cool hearing your guys's, uh, somewhat different, but you know, mostly aligned uh, perspectives. So I'm going to ask a, a question kind of out of self-interest for Compass here. So getting our pound of flesh, so to speak, we do offer like the ability for people to buy an ASIC and like ship it to their house. Like if they want to do that, they can. Uh, and I just personally would see like the benefit of running an ASIC and then running a GPU mine right next to it. So if you were going to do like a home solution like that, like run an S19 and then have a GPU rig right next to it, how would you go about keeping like a really small farm like that operational in your garage? What would be considerations? Would it be like electrical first and then worry about heat later on? Or do you like need to nail it right out of the gate? Like, is it more of a learning process with the GPU mining? Um, Michael, you kind of touched on that. So maybe we'll go back to you to start. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's folks that reach out regularly after watching something on the channel and they kind of started that way where they have ASICs and they're like, you know what, I'm really looking. And it probably goes into what you were showing earlier on the growth right now on just the Reddit uh, and the, just the signal to noise right now in the GPU mining in general is I think a lot of people are starting to discover it. They're seeing the profitability of certain coins out there and they're like, you know what, what's, what's to hedge uh, to do that. Um, so most, if you're, if you're flipped around or if you're going to have them next to each other, it really comes down to ASICs, depending which ones you get, if it's like an L3 plus, or if you're looking at like S19, or you're looking at 3,500 Watts, you're already in that, um, out of the 20 amp, uh, you know, realm, right? So you're, you're looking at 240, 208, uh, connection, 30 amp, uh, at a minimum. So you're, you're already, uh, your power is kind of solved for you. To make that work, you're going to be at 30 amps. So you're going to have to do that from uh, when you introduce an ASIC compare one of the biggest distinction and differences. I mean, there's GPUs that could be a lot hotter uh, output thermal footprint than an ASIC, uh, but it's the noise difference. So the ASICs are going to be a lot louder. Uh, typical GPU mining rigs these days are actually very, very quiet. Um, even the older ones, the only exception was the blower fan style cards that had the fan kind of built into the box. And it looked like we used to call them hair dryers because that's exactly the way they would feel if they were on. Those were a little decibel loud. Most of the companies have moved away from that kind of design. So now you have like triple fans and they're a lot more efficient. And by and large, most of the companies are pretty good now with their thermal designs. Um, 
there's a really good YouTube channel, Gamers Nexus, that covers down to the uh, the the detail of thermal designs and like uh, taping on the uh, you know thermal tape and that kind of thing to understand the GPU. But by and large, the the audio profile is way lower. So you can have a GPU mining rig inside of like your living room, and a lot of people do. I actually did a couple of videos with like if you're running your heat like you could actually reduce running your heat and running mining rig like somewhere in the house and actually you know you reuse that that heat generation and you'll actually use less of your power so you're you're at least getting paid you know something for running the heat in the if you live in like northern climates and stuff um you know just uh, understand that if you're if you're going to bring an ASIC into the fold that where it's going to be is critical because it's going to be louder so i would say that's probably the number one thing first power kind of happens aut- automatically because it's going to be a 30 amp um, so you'll have to consider that and then thermal is a strong third but can sw- quickly go to first if you have a lot of something so like it's you're going to hit something to where you have to start to move that heat because you're going to bring the ambient temperatures well into the 90s 100 degrees um so you're going to have some level of uh, concept of ventilation and airflow and start to build what we've learned over time hot cold lanes you know initially when we were doing things they weren't we were moving the heat but we weren't directing it so if that there's a big difference between those two things and like a lot of the larger farms have figured that out they understand where the hot and the cold lanes are at and where to move the 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 temperature. Um, but yeah, and you, if you're in your house and it's in a basement and you don't have any way to ventilate, so you got to be conscious of that. Um, I would just say, if you want to not have a very upset partner, <laughs> make sure you understand it's going to be loud and where to go with that. Totally. Seth, same question to you and maybe kind of adjust the question a little bit. What would it be like for someone to run like one ASIC and maybe like five GPUs in the garage? What would you, how would you go about that? I think that's exactly the right question for the uh, for the uh, the entry level participant in in this space, and uh, and like what Carter was saying before, I used to get laughed at a few years ago on my channel for for using the term thermal signature of of your room, and um and I'm like guys, this is it's a thing. I don't know why you think it's not, but it's it's a real thing. And uh, without calling it a cold aisle or a hot aisle, you do have to have that mentality, like Carter's saying, even at home. So you may want to have uh, an intake if you're a basement miner, right, or a garage miner, have an intake on one side, and then just have a and have a negative pressure setup in either your basement or in your garage. And it's totally achievable if you just pay attention to the way air flows in that room. And it takes it's another one of those you know thousand cuts right that that hits you when you're first starting here and so you have to like be be ready to like learn and you know not die from actually getting struck by these thousand cuts it's just another one of those um but yeah like like carter was saying the thermals alone are you know could could be half of those thousand cuts maybe if you're not careful um you can build up your heat really really fast as far as adding a an asic or uh, to to some gpus that somebody already has at home uh, just like he said Power is actually the top consideration. Uh, TDP is the way that we measure heat, right? So, um, t- but you have to consider what is this thing consuming, and then that, and that usually translates into how much heat am I going to have to throw off of this thing and get rid of. Um, but power first, and like Carter said before, a 30 amp circuit that's running at 208 or at 240 volt. Not in every home. It's extremely uncommon, in fact. So unless you are already running some kind of heavy machinery at home or you have a proper tool shop at home, you very likely don't have this circuit ready to go. Um, it, it would be okay if I if I shared a screen from uh, from the Brains OS team. 
they they're yeah, friendly. Okay, great. I'm gonna go ahead and jump out of the way here. They've got a calculator on their site that we use regularly on our live stream, be- precisely because we we consider that there's going to be some people who are wanting to dabble or you know veer away from GPU mining, and for them it might be a lot simpler to just set it and forget it. So we go over some of some of the financials and some of these considerations. I have right here the Antminer S19 Pro. That's over three kilowatts. That's significant for most people. Like Carter said, it's not going to fit on your standard residential 20 amp, 120 volt circuit. It, you're going to start a fire, period. Or you're going to at least ruin, like you're going to make some electrician in your hometown very happy because they're going to have to come over and you know redo all your stuff. Uh, so understanding that there are going to be some hard limits there. Whereas with GPU rigs, you, know, you may just decide that... Um, and then there's some great cost breakdowns here too. Uh, but with, with GPU rigs, like you said, the, the situation that you outlined there, Will, as far as having five GPUs on a rig, probably gonna, it might even run on a 15-amp circuit, which is very common if you have underbuilt electricity at your home or un, an underbuilt electrical panel and sub-panel at your home. You're probably going to run into maybe a 15-amp circuit on 120-volt power uh, You know, at the worst-case scenario. You can just take a GPU off that rig, set up another rig, provision a new like you know c- uh, central brain for your uh, for your GPU mining rigs, and then start building up one, two, three, or four GPUs on that one and put it on a different circuit. So your scale happens differently with the GPUs, and with that ASIC adding it to your home, that's the top consideration. Do you even have a circuit where it'll run? And if you don't, um, what will it take for you to build up? You know, just just your infrastructure. So you don't start a fire, um, and then yeah, noise and all the rest that that Michael said, and he he put it perfectly. I couldn't add anything to it at all. But yeah, the, the top consideration I'd say is that that's a choke point for most people is not even knowing how their panel and their sub panel is set up in their home. Yeah, no, that's that's a great explanation. Um, there's there's a lot to consider there. I guess the the next consideration, you know, assuming all of those things are sorted, um, and you actually have your your rig sort of set up and you're prepared to mine is is my next question like how the hell do you decide what to mine uh, you know like in, in asics uh asic market asic mining land it's a little bit simpler at least in my mind you know bitcoin ethereum litecoin and maybe litecoin and doge merged uh, zcash um and then even some of those and then you also like everything else pretty much is, is fair game for gpu miners and i realize this is not really a fair question because it's kind of like well, what coins should you buy? Like, what coins should you mine? Uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to answer. But, but Zach, it, it, tell us what you're really trying to say. Which coin is best? Just say it. <laughs> I mean, that's the question. Like, when, how would you, and especially like if you're mining something you maybe don't fundamentally believe in, but it's just, you know, exceptionally profitable right now. How do you guys, like high level, how, do you, how would you advise someone to sort of think through all those questions in terms of what should they mine and whether or not they believe in what they're mining and all of that? Um, just get, give them some investment advice, basically. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> there we go. The disclaimer. Yeah. But um, all jokes aside, how do you guys think through, you know, out of all the options out there, what what do you mine? Uh, Michael, probably pass it back to you since you've, you've mined probably so many coins that nobody's ever heard of right now. Um, and then uh, we'll go to Seth. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, especially your your risk on. I'll start it off very simply from your risk of what you're mining is really predicated on your what your layout is. If you're in one GPU, you can take a lot more risk uh, on trying new coins, new things that just come out. Uh, it's really changed from the original days of like a new coin coming out and there was an announcement post on bitcoin talk that was kind of the where it got announced at and there was the pitch of what it was supposed to do and who the development team was going to be and what they were really bringing to the table and then you could immediately pivot a rig or a card to their network give them some security and get a token for that this was even pre before anything even was listed, right? Like you would, there was no list there was no TC desk, maybe like that was being done through some kind of escrow service on some, not even discord channel because discord didn't even exist then. Right. So like when some of the first stuff started coming out, there was dark coin, which ended up turning into dash. And like, there was all these different quirk and 42 coin and all these different things you could try to pitch your rig to. Now it's a lot more, I would say industrialized with the fact that there's a whole Whole bunch more tools out there to identify that are tied into the networks, right? So if you look at something like whattomine.com, you look at a few of these other sites that are literally running their own node, they know where the block height is. They also are running an API back to exchanges and DEXs. So now you have this, this data-rich environment to understand what currently is and even trending data right so you have what's the past seven days what's the network hash rate flow so you have a lot more data analytics that are in real time with market makers and all that from the buys and sell side to where the miners now have where do you want to go is it what's what's your long-term hedge and what's your play? Are you looking for short-term profitability to make sure that you're paying for your power? Or can you split your setup and not go, you know, do a min-max type of situation? Like for us personally, we're doing a, a split, right? So we have some things that, that have to pay the bills, which are uh, Ethereum right now because it's the most profitable piece. But then you have your, why it, you would redirect before you could, you could just mine Ethereum and then buy what you wanted. With Ethereum's transaction fees, that's kind of... Uh, kind of a non-starter now because you'll end up losing out any of that delta. But now, so now you take the risk of taking maybe Ethereum Classic and then a smaller bit on something like Ravencoin, right? So these are the larger networks that have most of the hash rate. Ergo's coming up too. So you have, it's kind of a, a multi-part question. It's like, do what's the network doing? And is it, is it long-term? Uh, I talk about this pretty heavily with spreadsheets uh, on live streams with you guys of like, trying to understand what the teams are doing, what's the direction. Uh, and is that something that will, you know, make some kind of penetration into the market, which would then the price recovery will come with it, right? If teams start making, you know, some level of innovation that people start using, then you'll start to see price discovery with that. That's just what's happened, right? And there is a speculative piece to it, but it's also the dynamics of what's the output of the coins per block. You know, something like Ravencoin is 5,000 coins every one minute. So the yield share is a lot higher, right? So if you have a mining rig on that, you're going to get a lot more units. And there's always been, and it will continue to be, I think, until Bitcoin really starts to take over everything when it comes to an understanding of monetary, you know, and currency standpoint. But there's a unit bias right now. So we call it satoshis right and that's starting to finally click and millions of satoshis and that sort of thing but there's still a unit bias so people still lean the fact that they're going to get a lot more raven coin at a certain price point than maybe the point 
zero zero one four of ETH that they would get with the same the same rig. So there there is some of that play interplay there where some people will go long on a coin, understanding that they can get more of it, and then if there's higher price discovery with that, it wins out. And this has been the case with several several coins out there through the history. Where you could get a lot of them early, and then I mean, we used to mine 120 Ethereum per month per rig. That when when Ethereum was four dollars, right? Well, I'm talking October of 15, right? Wow. And by 17, we were still a, a single rig would pull in 15, 20 Ethereum, right? Um, and then it went down quick, and at the end of 17, where you would get about one or two Ethereum per per rig per month, but like. Uh, you know, Ravencoin was the same way. Uh, Ethereum Classics the same way. You know, uh, Ethereum Classics very a lot easier to model because the transfer is um, more uniform compared to Ethereum. You know that a hash equals a hash essentially on that switch when you move your machine point to point, and you see the price point where it's at. So, yeah, I think it all, it, it all comes back down to understanding your output and what you're and then what the teams are doing. Um, that help that. And then there's other small little factors like, like example, you know, like Litecoin ha- having Ra- Ravencoin has its first having. So it's 5,000 coins per block every one minute. It's going to go to 2,500 coins per block every one minute in January. Now, is that going to be reciprocal of what's happened with Litecoin and Bitcoin and any of the coins that have modeled that same model? Nobody knows. It's a complete speculation. However, it does still play in the supply demand dynamics. And as Ethereum moves to proof of stake, will it have an adjustment for that? Um, it's time will tell, but yeah, there's definitely a hedge out there right now. And that's why you see some of these networks, like people look at them like, why are everybody mining the Ethereum when Ethereum's twice as profitable right now? It's because of that dynamic. They're getting a lot more yield and they're betting on the longer game. Hmm. No, all of that makes perfect sense. Uh, Seth, same question to you. If you have anything to add there, I also kind of want to add on, like if you, if you are able to and feel comfortable sharing, like maybe differences in terms of some of the clients you've worked for, how they manage this whole question, like what and when and and how often and how do we manage the bags that we're mining, all that. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just uh, to be very clear right now, I don't have any kind of like a, a non-disclosure agreement. I'm not actively uh, I'm not actively on anybody's payroll to manage their their minds at the moment. So I'm not keeping anybody's secrets, nor am I chopping wood or carrying water for anyone. So I can say whatever the heck I want. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, as far as the live stream goes, I think that Michael and I, we've got slightly different approaches now. I'm a huge fan of having big aggregate data and having really good data, data flows that you have full control over inside of a spreadsheet. I basically gave up. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to show you my cheat sheet right now. Again, I'll just do a lot of screen sharing today. I'm sorry, not sorry. Hopefully, this uh, helps create no, some okay. for your viewers. But I've got right here. I'm inside of. Uh, I'm inside of a, a coin price aggregator. Which will remain nameless. Doesn't matter which one, right? But it can create a portfolio inside of it. And I've got here a stacked ranking of all of the ASIC mineable coins based on a paper trade that we did in this portfolio in May after the, the market dip. And we did that on our channel, live stream, so that viewers would be able to see like, okay, first off, I'm empowered to do this with simple tools. I don't have to be an Excel wizard um, or understand calculus. I can just throw either paper trades or my real world trades into a portfolio. And I can start to map some of this using very simple tools and not technical analysis, but but bare minimum looking at trends. Right, and trying to understand trends. What Michael said about being able to map out the next quarter, it's essential. So to jump back to your, your question before, this is what I would say to everybody who's jumping in 
on the small to mid scale. And by mid scale, I mean anybody who's who's in for say less than a million dollars total capex. Like you can use these tools to great advantage. You don't necessarily need to do really in depth models. For anybody who's jumping in at the at the large scale, and I'm gonna I'll, I'll jump out of my screen share here back to full screen here. But uh, for anybody who's um who's looking at the larger scale, yeah, you do want to have more intense models, a bit like how uh, Michael talks about it. You you really do. And you want to be able to talk to some of these uh, some of these project leaders, uh, Tron and Jeremy at Ravencoin. They make themselves very available to mid-scale and, and above size operations who are saying, hey, you know what? We've got a warehouse full of you know 5,000 GPUs. Um, we think we want to do this. They would make time for you. They're accessible, uh, right? They're not... Um, they're, they don't pretend to be Satoshi. And thankfully, they're not as aloof in some cases as, say, like the Ethereum core developer group um, and much more responsive to that. And also, you know, they, they've got much higher alacrity, right? They can turn on a dime if they really had to. And they're, they're great about doing it. Some of the other project leadership, same thing. Um, so where I'm going with all this is just to say, like, it's not an, it's not an incredibly different consideration for the small to mid-scale miner, but you can use simpler tools to make it a simple stacked ranking. You can take a look at at uh, previous timeframes to have it match maybe some of your investment goals better to figure out how much longer am I even going to mine at all. There are going to be some people who watch this who are like you like you mentioned are thinking, well, I'm going to try out mining for the next six months, right? Make it my sort of investment muse, so to speak, to use you know Tim Ferriss's old language. Um, I'll put in this much money, see how see what I can do as far as ROI in six to eight months, and then I'm out, right? Like I rinse and repeat. I move on to the next thing. Maybe they want to get into NFTs or something else. Um, <laughs> heaven help us, but like, uh, but but yeah, it, it, you can use simple tools to uh, to get to give yourself a high level overview of what's performing and what the basic trends are. And then pay attention to the blogs. I mean, these these project leaders, they don't, you know, they don't, um, whatever, they're not an island. They're not entirely un, unreachable, right? Or, uh, or, or like they, they don't make themselves so hard to get a hold of that you couldn't just get simple questions answered. Uh, Michael said also like Discord exists now, right? In this phase of crypto, got questions, jump into a Discord or into a Telegram and, you know, don't act like a spam bot to get your questions answered. So you can figure out roughly uh, what the current design ideas are for a project and where their current, whether or not their current roadmap, you know, stated roadmap goals from the website are, are real or BS. So you can make may, uh, way more informed decisions now than maybe you could have before. And the risk of exit scamming is probably the lowest ever, it's ever been. So yeah, uh, if you're speculating, yeah, do put in the work. If you're not though, you want to go with the more solid sort of tent pole crypto projects, really great data aggregators available for you that'll even just make, help you set up a portfolio and in some cases even help you create projections within these portfolio aggregators. So, I mean, there are all these tools available. Um, we take a different approach on my live stream, but uh, but the way that Michael does it is, is super valuable. So, so yeah, just tomato, tomato. Totally. I love how you guys are kind of bringing all this together, the ability to like financially model your mining operation and kind of plan for the future. I think that's something a lot of people who are just getting into the mining industry don't kind of they don't jump into that part because it's already such a burden to understand like what an ASIC is mm -hmm. and then like power consumption and the heat. And like, there's this whole world of financial modeling you can do around it. Uh, so we are actually coming up on the close of the stream here in a minute, but I want to have like a little lightning round for some quick questions and see if I can get like 30 second answers from both of you on a topic. So 
first question on NVIDIA. Are you guys worried that they're going to continue to play games with GPUs by locking and unlocking functions going forward? Seth, I'll start with you. Uh, two, two things. So what? Who cares? We always, we always out-develop them. We always out-engineer them. They don't really stand a chance. So like, I guess bring it on. Michael? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to try. I think it's one of many things they're going to try with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to mining in general, uh, yeah, I mean, it's already, I think the LHR has already been almost all the way uh, removed already. And it's just a will away and the ability to participate is always going to trump it. So it's, uh, I, I think that it's a futile attempt. Also, okay, next one. Is the haterade between gamers and GPU miners real or is it just made up? Seth, we'll start with you. It's real. Jay's two cents. Please forgive me and unblock me on Twitter. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's hilarious. We'll, we'll tag him in the stream notes after. We'll tag him in the stream notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's for real, real. I mean, a couple of the larger videos we have, I think I have one that's almost a 700,000 and it's, it's my only video. Most of my videos have like 99% likes on them. And this one's about almost 50, 50 now. Uh, it's showing the larger farm, which is almost all uh, mining edition GPUs, which is funny to me. Cause it's like, there's not even a, dis there's not even a display port on it, but uh, yeah, it's a real thing. And I'm, I'm trying to take an approach on a lot of the, the stuff to, to try to bring them in to say, Hey, this is some cycles you can throw to it when you're sleeping. So um, we'll see, we'll see if we can continue the olive branch there. Okay. And the question everyone knew was coming, but we got to ask, will Ethereum be proof of stake in one year from now or not? Seth, what's your take? <laughs> How much money you guys want to bet on it? I mean, seriously, I, I see an opportunity here. Um, the likelihood of it happening uh, seems very low. Uh, what I'm going to ask, uh, answer though, really briefly in that lightning round that you didn't ask is, uh, is will it actually matter? In my opinion, it's not going to decrease fees and it's not going to vastly improve transactional throughput to the extent that everyone thinks. So whether they deliver on time or not, I, I think it's not going to fizzle, but it's not it's not going to uh, break through the atmosphere either. Awesome, Michael. Um, I always have said they would have attempted, or at least been very close. I think uh, what just happened with Solana may have uh, shook the tree a little with mm -hmm. the risk of moving to a proof of stake validated network. Uh, when you have something like Ethereum, I think it um, there's a lot more existential risk if they don't understand really how to handle um, spamming and some of the other effects there. So I think a lot of that stuff's still at annotated outline stage, but nothing's public um, on how far they are along. So uh, running development shops for most of my life, um, you need to get to that point of being able to test and they're not, they're not there yet. You add test plus six months. So the moment we see it shipped to test, then six months from there, I think gives you a better indicator. Perfect. And and I said that was the last one, but I was lying. So I actually have one more. Will there be an Ethereum proof of stake chain that continues past uh, or proof of work chain rather continues past the proof of stake transition? Seth, we'll start with you. I don't think that's a function of opinion. I'm going to defer to Vitalik on that. I think that he's been very clear about something like that existing. Um, but further, I'll, I'll defer to Michael here, but I, I don't think uh, I don't think I can opine on that. I think that there's some record there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
unless there's a large development group that's going to stand behind it, um, I think a lot of the folks that are pro proof of work are going to move to Ethereum Classic. Ethereum Classic has everything to gain in this whole transition. Like they're the most suited for it. The code being transferable to it, smart contract deployments, Solidity, developers, Rust, all of that, the, the different clients. Ethereum Classic has everything to gain from Ethereum's move to Ethereum uh, to proof of stake. So I, I think that that transition is smoother going to Ethereum Classic than spending a different chain from it. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap for us today. Seth, Michael, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the stream. Zach, also, thanks for jumping on with us. I uh, had a really fun time with you guys today. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I uh, want to tell all our viewers, both these guys are obviously on YouTube, uh, but also on Twitter. Um, we get some shit posts out of them every now and then, but you know, we'll push them towards more of it. Uh, but Seth and Michael, this was a ton of fun for me. We don't, like we said at the top of the show, spend too much time talking about GPU mining. This past hour was a blast though. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Thank you. You should, have a, you should have at least Michael on more often. Just, just saying. Oh yeah, yeah no, you're yeah. The takeaway I guess from the stream is everyone go watch Michael's uh, stream if you have any questions about GPU mining beyond what we talked about uh, in the show. Thank you guys both.